0: Hello everyone and welcome back to our next episode of Labelling the Disabling, where we talk about what is it that disables us and what labels are being put on disability or people who are disabled. Today we are interviewing. I'm again I'm with my co host Ed Burt. Hey everybody. And today we're interviewing Professor Justin John Yerbury, um, who is an Order of Australia medal recipient in 2020, and is also a professor of molecular biology um, and who works in the field of neuro- neurodegenerative disease in Wollongong. Welcome, Justin.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for joining us and for sharing um, your vision and your um, study with us today. As I stated, uh, Professor Yerbury is a professor in neurodegenerative disease, and he was spurred on to study this uh, when he acquired motor neurons disease in 2016. Ed, have you got a specific question for Justin about this?
2: Yeah, look, I do. Um, thanks yeah, for having us, Justin, in your beautiful home. Um, so lovely to be here, and uh, uh, lovely to meet your your uh, crazy dog Fern, uh, who's uh, certainly certainly sorters us out on the way in. <laughs> um, so it's good to be here, and yeah. So um, looking at a bit about your history, it sounds very much as though you were driven um, to go back to university or to university to, to research motor neurone disease as a young. Young, younger man, young man um, who was in the thick of a basketball career um, after family members of yours had the disease. Um, so, first of all, it'd be good to hear a bit about that. And can you tell us about the motivation uh, of of going to to conduct to join the research field and how I'm really interested, and I think we all are, in how that lived experience of disability, uh, a lived experience of a condition or a disease can really stand to benefit uh, research and our understanding of, of these issues.
1: I first heard about motor neuron disease when my uncle was diagnosed. At the time my uncle was diagnosed, we had no idea what the mandy was, and we had no clue of what was to come. In the next few years, we would lose cousins, aunts, my grandmother and my mother wanted to know why we didn't know about this before. How did I manage to grow up with this lurking in background hidden? Digging back through the family tree I found out that it had always been there this discovery had my mind wanting to know more. So I started reading journal articles about the latest M&D research. I needed to know why there was no drugs that could slow down the disease. But not having studied biology before, I struggled to understand. It was like reading another language. So I found myself learning the basics of molecular biology to help with my reading. I decided to enroll in some biology classes at the local university to advance my knowledge. I found that I picked it up quickly, so I kept going. I started to think that I might even be able to do my own laboratory research one day. In my experience, people touched by a disease or other disability are particularly motivated to contribute to research in whatever way possible. People leaving was MND are very good at being direct and asking the hard questions. Simply put, they do not have the luxury to wait as the researcher dogs. They need to know, how does this project get us closer to a cure? I think that it is important that people who MND or any other conditions should be able to meet with researchers prior to the start of research projects to it. Sign off that the project meets the getting closer to a key criteria, it is also useful to have people living with their conditions M&D at scientific conferences so that they can ask questions of the researchers to help shape the direction of the research.
0: Mm. Of course. I, yeah. I, makes I can, a lot of sense, doesn't yeah, it? Totally, yeah, totally. I can definitely relate to that. Mm. And um, Something we haven't asked in relation to that would be, I guess, if you don't have MND, what would spur you on to to mm. find a cure? Whereas mm. what you've just said there would really well, be
2: exactly that that idea of, as Justin's saying, the motivation. You know, not not beating around the bush. I think asking those those difficult, pertinent questions to the the lived experience of the condition. I mean, I think. Um, and I think what a what a fantastic ethics um, uh, screening process to to Absolutely. to ask that question. How does the project get us closer to the cure? Yeah. So so, Justin, you you are a prolific researcher. Um, I can't remember. I did read the number of published articles, but um, you know, there's scores of of published articles out there with your your name on it, um, an author. Um, and in 2020, you did. Uh, were named and received the Order of Australia Medal for your work as a molecular biologist. Can you tell us what that means to you to receive the award?
1: I was humbled by the recognition. The member of the Order of Australia is a great honour. I was genuinely surprised. I was truly humbled that people would even consider me for this award. I feel that the award is a reflection of the effort and support of many people, without whom my work would not be possible. Recognition for the work is not something I usually think about. We normally think about how our work might move our understanding of the disease forward. And does it get us closer to an effective treatment? If our work is recognised in the broader community, then that means we have communicated it well.
0: Thank you. That's
2: absolutely it. Does it does? I think that's that's absolutely what it what it means by way of recognition that you've you've communicated um, the importance of that of that work. And often, I think. From my very limited understanding of the work you're doing, uh, there are so many potential other um, applications and flow-on benefits from this type of uh, research into neurodegenerative diseases. So um, it's far bigger um, than just motor neuron disease. It's it's general uh, understanding of how we how we function. So so thank you and. Um, Certainly the work has contributed to, to the understanding of motor neuron disease. Uh, what, what do we know, though, about this disease now in relation to why these neurons stop doing what they're supposed to do?
1: After a late 2017, my condition rapidly deteriorated. After a late 2017, motor neuron disease, or MND as it is often called, is a term that describes a range of debilitating and progressive neurodegenerative diseases. It is often mistaken for a musculoskeletal condition because of the obvious wasting of voluntary muscles, but in fact is a result of the death of the neurons that control muscle movement. Without their connection to the brain, the muscles waste away. Amyotrophic lateral sclerosis is the most common and rapidly progressive form of MND and it is not as rare as you might think with a 1 in 400 lifetime risk of developing this condition. This is the form of MND we study In most, but not all, cases of MND, cognitive capacity is not affected. Following the onset of ALS, approximately 50% of cases result in death within 30 months, while 20% can survive from 5 through 10 years. With rare examples of people living more than 50 years after diagnosis. We know that approximately 5 to 10% of all cases of immunity are inherited and caused by fault aging. The remaining 90% of cases are and most sporadic in the population and there is no consensus on what the underlying cause of these cases are. Two intriguing possibilities are a toxin from blue green algae called BMAA and reactivation of ancient remnants of viruses in our DNA which are called her While some cases may be associated with these factors, there is still much work to do to understand the disease triggering sporadic MND. MND research is picking up speed across the globe and our work is a part of that global network. Together with international collaborators, we are beginning to understand what goes wrong at the molecular level in MND. Because of this, we have identified drugs that work in our laboratory experiments and that we hope may be useful in some forms of MND.
0: Can I just clarify that? Does that mean one in 400, Justin?
1: One in 400 deaths from M. Mandy.
0: One in 400 deaths. Mm. Um, thank you, Justin.
2: Thank you. So, I mean, it certainly sounds as though the research is, is moving forward um, mm. with lots of promising, um, you know, uh, drug uh, therapies. Um, so it's good to hear. Uh, and I think that combined international approach is 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 absolutely the way that we need to go forward. Um, I'm interested as well the, the challenges that you've faced since since your diagnosis and as you said earlier going downhill um, or in 2017, um, what have been the greatest challenges for you in adapting to your disability to, so that you can continue your work uh, in this research field.
1: After early 2017 my condition rapidly deteriorated. I could no longer look after myself and it was becoming too much for family and friends so we started organising care. By the end of 2017 my doctor said I had only months left to live, but that the laryngectomy and mechanical ventilation would extend my life, possibly by years possibly by decades. The last 24 months had been the biggest fight of our lives, but we had no idea of what we were about to come up against. I had been told by the NDIS that I was not going to live long enough to make it worthwhile for them to buy me a wheelchair. But the public outcry and my wife Rachel's campaigning made it happen. Rachel's efforts would not just help me, but countless others in the same situation. The anti is now a bit more flexible for people with Mandy, but still not perfect. I had the surgery in the January of 2018 and spent six months in the intensive care unit. Given the last couple of years had been such a struggle, the last thing we needed was another fight. But Rachel again had to fight until New South Wales state funds were eventually approved. The first three months in intensive care is a black hole to me. I have very few memories of the time, but I know I had two surgeries and was very ill. I lost 30 kilograms and was a shadow of my former self, but I kept working as much as I could. One of the major adjustments apart from losing my own rather than my profound disability, creating insurmountable barriers to work and other aspects of life. It has provided immense and complex challenges, all of which I have navigated in collaboration with stakeholders. This experience has given me great insight into the importance of removing barriers to allow people to flourish at work and has given me clarity to see inequality and possible solutions. It is clear that we have successfully navigated such complexities that inside I have been diagnosed with MND. I have published more than 30 papers and attracted half a million dollars in research funding. I know and understand what it means to remove barriers.
0: Thanks for that um, answer, Justin. It's quite personal what you've shared with us and your experience in the ICU. Um, And we did talk a little bit about this before the podcast started, which was about (coughs) not having grown up with disability and acquiring disability later on in your life, what it's made you recognise or identify or see, um, and that answer encapsulated that quite well about the barriers. Um, and it is really, really annoying um, and frustrating and um, I, I've had a similar experience with the NDIS myself, obviously not the same, um, but to quantify somebody's life in terms of financial um, outcomes, in terms of purchasing or not purchasing mm. something um, depending mm-hmm. on the person's life expectancy is outrageous, disgusting and... Mm. Um, yeah it's thank you for sharing that with us because it's quite personal and quite a um, confronting situation to be in Mm.
2: yeah thanks Justin um I was going to ask you 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 did receive some attention recently in the media um where you uh went on a holiday well you were going on a holiday uh which which unfortunately went went very wrong uh you were unable to go on a cruise with your family um, so how much further do you do you want to tell us a bit about that and and, and your thoughts about how much further we have to go when it comes to accessibility um, you just talked about those great barriers to to um, people in in working and how they can be overcome through collaboration I mean I'm interested in your experience on your recent family holiday
1: although. I am pleased that the cruise company Royal Caribbean has listened to my concerns and has worked with me to make changes to ensure that other people with complex needs don't have to experience the disappointment and hurt of being refused access to a much-anticipated family holiday because of their disability. We still do have a long way to go. I took action against Royal Curry BM as a last resort to ensure no one else would have to go through the same disappointing and degrading experience as my family and I disagreement was about ensuring that people with disability have access to the same transport and holiday options as everyone else whenever possible and are treated with the same level of dignity and respect that everyone deserves
2: yeah exactly i think um we do have a long way to go it is um again uh, i think in some ways from what you were saying earlier your your uh, experience of um, you know acquiring a disability later in life uh, has has and Justin was saying to us before we got on the podcast um, about that it's uh, led to a certain intolerance around discrimination um, that I think perhaps if you have a disability your whole life um, perhaps sometimes you don't pick up on those things. I don't know, but yeah, you, you learn um, to live I, with it. I guess yeah. you learn
0: to ignore the questions, or um, have polite just answers for almost, people, or yeah. just ignore the the stares or the mm. whispers about you, and you just or ignore the barriers and just try to always. Um, Mm. be resilient or find a way around them because Mm. there's this expectation from the able community that um, if you can be resilient as a person with disability if you can overcome the barriers then um, you're the hero you're the champion and if you Mm. can't then you're wallowing Mm. in your own self-pity which is Mm. definitely not what people are doing but I guess that Having that lower level of, imp- of of patience and tolerance is something that uh, we all need to take um, a leaf out of your book, on mm. Justin, because we we need to be reminded about that. Mm. Mm.
2: I think, as you say, it is it is disappointing and, and and degrading and and shouldn't be tolerated. So, thank you for your for your work there. I think you've 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 blazed a trail. Um. Uh. So. There was a second part to that question. I don't know if there was anything further you wanted to add, but around what you'd like to share with us uh, in terms of obvious things from your perspective that we could all be doing to improve accessibility for people with disability and their families.
1: My advocacy and lobbying has resulted in real impact in our community My public presence means that I am often approached to champion various causes, typically in the disability space. My credibility and influence ensures that change is enacted. But there are little things that we can all do. For example, Wollongong City Council is requesting input into Council's accessible public amenities, plan and accessible pathways. The implementation of the input will make real impacts on the inclusion of people with a disability in the Wollongong area, allowing them to access strategic the selected locations in the city.
2: Yeah, it's a good point. That is up for consultation at the moment, uh, the Disability Inclusion Action Plan. So I think we do need to all um, take those strategic opportunities when they present themselves and and have input. I think you're absolutely right, Justin. Um, so please, um, I can't remember when the, when that closes off, um, but oh, I do. find out and put it on the Yeah, we, we'll, we'll put that up. Um, so you certainly continue to work prolifically uh, and undertake many challenges. Um, do you have advice for others about what's helped you in adapting to disability?
1: There is no instruction manual or advice that can make my disability or MND manageable for the broader population. You really have to take it day by day. One piece of practical advice that I would have would be to stay ahead of the symptoms. Don't wait until you need assistive technology because by then it is too late. My main advice would be to not let your disability define you or let it limit your goals regardless of your disability you can make a positive contribution
2: absolutely yeah i think that's come through really strongly um i like that idea of staying ahead of symptoms as well in terms of i can imagine you know anticipating changes early um you know looking at what tools um like your your speech generating device um looks amazing with the eye gaze technology i think that would be something you'd want to probably use try out well ahead of of um you know potentially you know when you're still able to use your speech for example you might think well, i I should just keep using using what i've got um you don't want that you don't want to lose that but Um, you know, being realistic and and staying, I think as the words you used were staying ahead of the symptoms. So I think that's that's a a really interesting way to put it.
0: Um, And so true when talking about using assistive technology. I mean, um, when you have never used assistive technology and then you need to start to use it, um, and I work with a lot of people in that situation, um, you're very resistant to it because it's Mm. a massive change. I equate it to if you normally drive to work, um down smith street then brown street then um crown street you always go that way and when there's a detour you forget to go the detour way and you go back your regular way and that's what happens with using assistive technology i've found in the workplace um and so if you can learn to use it before you really need it and become familiar with it and used Mm -hmm. to it um it's much easier to use Mm. later on yeah
2: yeah, good advice. But I think the the goals don't let it limit you. I think, uh, and we've certainly we've met some other great people through this podcast who uh, are living living that example too. So thank you, Justin. I don't know if there was anything else you wanted to add um, this afternoon.
1: That is all from me today. Thank you for having me.
2: Awesome. Thanks so much, Justin. It was great meeting you this afternoon, and thanks to for hosting us at your beautiful home and and um yeah uh and for fern for looking after us and and um and and thank you also to your to your wonderful family as well um obviously Rachel and um your your beautiful daughters Talia and Madison we we um, obviously families work work so hard together um so really appreciate the time with you this afternoon
1: it was a pleasure
0: it absolutely was, um, Justin. Thank you so much again. And i just like to say I've watched you on Australian Story on both episodes and I've heard um, you or your wife on the radio when you experienced that cruise and it's been an absolute pleasure to meet you and to come to your home um, and to – be able to interview the most famous person we've had on labeling the disabling podcast it's
2: yeah. I think we need a selfie carol
0: I think we do yeah I yeah. Uh, <laughs> think if if that's okay with you Justin Thank you Yeah thank you so much